This is the Hasidic Story Project with Barack Holman, podcasting from Jerusalem, Israel. This podcast is sponsored by listeners just like you. To become a supporter of this podcast, please go to HasidicStory.com. H-A-S-I-D-I-C Story.com. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. I have two stories for you this week. Both a little different, but both good stories. The first with the Heilige Baal Shem Tov. One Friday night, the Baal Shem Tov was about to make Kiddush, when suddenly he started laughing out loud. <laughs> he laughed so hard that the wine spilled from the Kiddush cup. He couldn't stop laughing, but eventually he calmed down, made Kiddush, they made a mozi, continued the meal. And then in the middle of the meal, he starts laughing again. The same thing. <laughs> He was laughing so hard he couldn't calm down and the Hasidim are watching the Baal Shem Tov thinking, this is so strange. What's going on here? Then a few minutes later, he laughed for a third time. <laughs> now, everybody knew that the Helega Baal Shem Tov was a great Rebbe and so nobody dared to ask him why he was laughing. But immediately after Shabbos, one of his closest Hasidim, Reb Zev Kitsitz, was buried close to the Baal Shem Tov. And used to spend Moti Shabbos with the Baal Shem Tov when he would smoke his pipe. He said to the Rebbe, Rebbe, please tell us, what was all the laughing on Friday night? What was going on? And the Baal Shem Tov said, gather the Hasidim and tell Alexei that we're going for a ride. And I'll show you why I was laughing. And so Alexei, the Baal Shem Tov's driver, was summoned. And as I'm sure you know, my sweetest friend, since you've listened to so many of these stories, the Baal Shem Tov's driver, Alexei, he didn't face the road. He faced backwards facing the Baal Shem Tov, while the horses took the wagon wherever it needed to go. And so the Hasidim piled up in the wagon with the Helega Baal Shem Tov, and they traveled throughout the night, not knowing where they were going, until when the sun came up, they realized that they were in the city of Koznitz. The Baal Shem Tov took the Hasidim, they davened in a shul, and after Shachrit, the Baal Shem Tov asked that Reb Shabsai, the bookbinder, be brought to him. And the head of the Jewish community was very surprised that such a great Rebbe like the Baal Shem Tov would be asking for such a simple person as Reb Shabzai, the bookbinder. And the Baal Shem Tov said, why, what's the problem? The community leader, he said, well, I'm sure that Reb Shabzai is a very fine and honest man, but he's not exactly what I would call a Torah scholar. As a matter of fact, he's a very simple person. And the Baal Shem Tov said, yes, that's exactly the Shabzai that I'm talking about. Can you please bring him here? So the leader of the Jewish community of Koznich went to bring Reb Shabzai, the Helga Baal Shem Tov. And he came together with his wife, and the two of them are standing before the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov says to them, I want you to please tell me what you did on Shabbos. And please, don't leave out any details. And tell me the truth, what happened on Shabbos. And Reb Shabzai was a little embarrassed because he knew he was standing in front of a great tzaddik. He said, Hey, the Garebi, if I did something wrong, please tell me. I'm just a simple bookbinder. Maybe I did something wrong and I'm sorry, Rebbe, please tell me. The Baal Shem Tov said, just, it's okay. Just tell us what happened on Shabbos. So Reb Shabtai said, when I was younger and stronger, I used to work many hours. And I made a good living, especially since, I'm sorry to say, we never had children. And so we didn't have the expenses of raising a family. It was just me and my wife. So every Thursday, I would go to the market and buy whatever we needed for the Holy Shabbos. And every Friday morning, I got up early to go shopping, and then I would go to shul and prepare myself for the holy day of Shabbos. But now I'm older, 
and I find that I can't work so hard. And as a result, I become very poor, but I refuse to relinquish my former habit of shopping everything for Shabbos and getting ready early for Shabbos. Last week, Friday morning came around, and I didn't even have enough money to buy flour for my wife to bake challahs for Shabbos. But I decided that if that's what Hashem wants, I will accept it with love. And so I told my wife, don't ask for tzedakah. Don't ask anyone to give us money. And promise me that even if the neighbors notice that we don't have any food, refuse to take anything from them. We will accept whatever Hashem has decreed from above. And so, not having any other way of honoring the Holy Shabbos, my wife took the broom and started sweeping the house. At least she could remove all the dust from every nook and cranny. And that Friday night, instead of going home after davening, I stayed in shul, because what was the point of going home if there weren't even candles burning in the window? And I was also a little embarrassed that somebody might say to me, Shabtai, how come we don't smell Shabbos cooking coming out of your house? But I didn't realize that as my wife was cleaning the house, she found an old dress that had silver buttons on the sleeves. And she was so overjoyed when she found the silver, she immediately cut them off and ran to the market to sell them to have enough money to have a huge Shabbos meal. And when I came home late at night, I saw the house was lit up. It was beautiful, with a table fit for a king. And I had thought that my wife had borrowed money or taken staka from neighbors. And I was about to chastise her, say it wasn't okay what you did. But because I love my wife, because I love Shabbos, and I know the mitzvah of shalom bayit, of having peace at home, includes not criticizing your wife, I decided not to say anything. So we sang Shalom Aleichem, Eishas Chayil. I made Kiddush and we washed for challah. But then after we ate the fish, I just couldn't hold myself back. I had to say something to her. And I said to her, my sweetest wife, I know that you must have either borrowed money or taken money from our neighbors. She said, wait a minute, my sweet husband. You don't know what happened. And then she told me that she was sweeping and she found these buttons and that she didn't borrow any money or received staka from anyone. And I was so filled with joy. I started crying. And without even thinking about it, I grabbed my wife's hand and we started dancing around the table. And after the soup, I was once again overcome with joy. And I grabbed her hand and we danced around the table again. And then when we ate dessert, I told my wife, come, let's dance one more time to thank Hashem for giving us the money we needed for the Holy Shabbos. And all three times, I was overwhelmed with the greatness that Hashem had given us to celebrate Shabbos directly from His holy hand, and not from anyone else except for Him Himself. And then Reb Shabtai had a worried look on his face, and he said, But Rebbe, please tell me if I did a transgression. Please tell me how to fix it. Please tell me what I did wrong, Rebbe. And then the Baal Shem Tov turned to his Hasidim, and he said, I want you to know that the entire entourage heavenly angels were dancing and rejoicing with Reb Shabtai and his wife. And that's why I laughed those three times on Friday night. Because every time I saw them dancing, I saw all the angels in heaven were dancing with them. He then turned to the couple. He said to them, I'm going to give you a very special blessing. You can either live the rest of your days in wealth or honor, or you can be blessed with a son in your old age. And Reb Shabtai he had tears in his eyes, and he turns to his wife and he says to her, My sweetest wife, whatever you choose, I will go along with. And she immediately told the Hedegabah Shem Tov, We choose to have a child. That's all we want. We just want a child. The Baal Shem Tov blessed them that the next year she would give birth, and that the boy be named Yisrael. 
which was the Baal Shem Tov's own name. And he also asked to be invited to the Brit so that he could serve as the Sandak and hold the baby. And that child, Yisrael, grew up to be one of the greatest Rebbe's of his generation. And he was known as the Kosnacher Magid. Here's the second story. When Rabbi Mordechai Eliyahu was 28 years old, he was made a Dayan, a judge, in the religious courts in Israel. And he was the youngest Dayan to ever be appointed in the state of Israel. And he joined the Beit Din in Beersheba, in the desert. And every day, when he and the other Dayanim, the other rabbinical court judges, came to the Beit Din, the rabbinic court, they saw a woman sitting in the doorway, holding a book of Tehillim, of Psalms, and reading it with tears in her eyes. And she would sit there for hours, reading chapter after chapter, until the end of the court hearings. And when the judges came out, she would leave too. And shortly after he was appointed to his position, Rabbi Mordechai Eliyahu noticed the woman every day in the courthouse. And one day he asked the secretary of the court to invite the woman to come in at the end of the hearings. And when she came in, Rabbi Eliyahu said to her, Tell me, what are you doing here? Why are you sitting here every day, reading Tehillim, next to the Beit Din, and crying? She said, I recently moved here from Morocco, and I was told to live in Beersheba. Her Hebrew wasn't so good, and she spoke with an Arabic accent. She said, in Morocco, I married a man who served as a taxi driver. But ten days after our marriage, my husband went on a trip to another city, about 300 miles away, and I haven't seen him since. A few months later, I was told that his taxi had been found. It had crashed in a car accident, and apparently he was killed. But we had no idea where his body was and who buried him. And so I went to the Beit Din in Casablanca and Morocco, and the rabbi there, he said, until there's evidence that my husband was really killed, I'm an aguna. I'm a woman who can't get remarried and I can't build my life again. And so I figured I'd sit here. And the woman continued and she said, when I moved to Israel, I thought maybe here there would be a rabbi who could help me and let me remarry and start a family. And so that's why I come here every day to pray. And Rabbi Eliyahu said to her, did you open a file in the Beit Din? She said, why should I open a file? I speak directly to Hashem, the creator of the world. And the rabbi said, well, why didn't you come in to the Beit Din and talk to us? And she said, Rabbi, don't you know any better? You're nothing but messengers for Hashem. I pray to Hashem, the creator of the world, and my fate is in Hashem's hands alone. And Rabbi Eliyahu was very impressed with this woman's faith, and he asked her for the details about her husband, and he said to come into the court the next day at nine in the morning. And so Rabbi Eliyahu started making phone calls, calling Moroccan rabbis to see if anybody could find who knew her husband, who knew who buried him, where the taxi was found. And he received the recommendation to go to Rabbi Yitzchak Abu Chatzera, who was known as the Baba Chaki, who was the chief rabbi of the cities of Ramla and Lod. And so Rabbi Eliyahu, he ordered a taxi and immediately headed to Ramla, to the house of the Baba Chaki. And when he told him the details of this woman and her husband, the Baba Chaki said to him, you're very lucky. Because the people in charge of the Hever Kadisha, the burial society in Morocco, just made Aliyah. And one of them lives in Kiryat Atta, and the other one lives in Demona. And he gave Rabbi Eliyahu the addresses of the two of them. 
And so Rabbi Eliyahu went to the taxi driver. He said, we're starting with Demona. Take me to Demona. And when he got to the man's house, he saw there was a shiva notice hanging on the door. An announcement that a Jew had passed away recently, and now his family was mourning him and sitting shiva. And Rabbi Eliyahu first thought to turn around and go because it was mincha time and he had to pray. But then he thought, it's a mitzvah to visit people who are mourning. And it's probably a sign from Hashem that he should go and pray with the minion at the shiva and maybe give over a Dvar Torah to lift the soul of the deceased person. And so after davening mincha, Rabbi Eliyahu gave a Dvar Torah and comforted the mourners. The family members were very impressed by the young judge, and they wanted to know why he had come from Beersheba. Did he know the family? Did he know the person who had died? And so he told them the story of the Aguna from Morocco, the woman who was sitting outside the Beit Din saying Tehillim every day, and that he was making an effort to figure out what happened to her husband. And when he mentioned the taxi driver's story and the scene of the accident, one of the mourners, an elderly Jew dressed in a traditional Moroccan robe, stood up and said, I buried that taxi driver with my friend, who everyone here is sitting shiva for. We both dug the grave, and we buried the Jew, because we knew it was a mitzvah. Then it became clear to Rabbi Eliyahu that this was the second undertaker from the Hever Kedisha that lived in Kiryat Atta, who had just come to comfort his friend's family who lived in Demona. And Rabbi Eliyahu was so excited. Releasing a woman from being an aguna is not something that happens every day especially to a brand new Dayan, like Rabbi Eliyahu. And so he immediately called the rabbi of the city, and together they made a court and collected a testimony from this man who had buried the woman's husband. And the next day the woman came to the court at nine o'clock, just like Rabbi Eliyahu had told her. And he said, I have very good news for you, my sweet woman. And he told the fellow judges everything that had happened while the woman was sitting there. And then at the end of the hearing, he informed the woman that she was now allowed to marry. And the woman looked at him in complete innocence and said, You see, you told me to open a file, but I prayed to the creator of the world, and he arranged everything. And the Dayanim were very impressed by the merit that had come across this young Dayan, Rabbi Eliyahu, to release a woman from being an aguna. And Rabbi Eliyahu said to them, This is the power of a person who has true faith in Hashem, and Davins in the most pure and innocent way. May we all be blessed, my sweetest friends, that when we daven to Hashem, we have full faith in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and Hashem answers our prayers, just like she did for the Aguna from Morocco. I want to thank one of the supporters of the podcast, 
the Chabad House in Malibu, California, who sent in a contribution, and I'm so grateful for it, and I'm so grateful for the friendship of the rabbi there, and I'm so grateful for all of you for listening and the comments you send me and the messages you send me. It really warms my heart and means so much to me. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And if you'd like to send in a contribution as well, you can do so by going to my website, hasidicstory.com, H-A-S-I-D-I-C-Story.com. I bless you all with a good Shabbos and Hasidic stories that warm the heart and bring light to your neshama.